Good morning, everyone. Let's just uh, pray one more time before we get started. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We're so grateful that you revealed yourself to us. Can't imagine, Lord, most of us couldn't imagine where we would be, Lord, without you. So, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to be with us as we go through this series in 1 Corinthians, that you help us understand your word, and uh, that you give us direction, Lord, of how we should apply it to our lives in the here and now. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's um, read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to uh, read the first 17 verses, and we'll spend most of our time um, on the first seven verses, although um, in the introduction, um, I will also focus on verses 16 and 17 because of their foundational value and the significance of the context. First Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still in the flesh or of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? <coughs> Excuse me. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not or do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. When it comes to their children, most of us know that mothers can be relentless. I experienced that just this weekend at a basketball tournament or, or league. You haven't seen anger until you have exposed or been exposed to 
the anger of a mother who is protecting her child. Now, on the flip side, if you have a mother, you know that mothers are just as relentless when it comes to the development of their children, to pushing their child to their potential. There's nothing like the relentlessness or the annoyance, as it can be, of a loving mom pushing and challenging their children to mature. Well, Paul says to the Corinthians at Corinth that God our Father, when it comes to his children, is also relentless. When it comes to the protection and the development of his children, he reminds us or wants to give the Corinthians perspective in verse 16 in the flow of his argument to them, his challenge to them. He says, do you not know you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. Now, a lot of us been in church a long time, all of our lives. We have some intellectual understanding. We have heard, we may even think about the fact that God's spirit is in us. But let that sink in for a minute. The creator of the universe, the God of all creation, has given you his essence. God's presence dwells in you. Somebody say you to church. See, this building that you're sitting in right now ain't the church. Now, I know you know that, but let's just let that sink in for a minute. See, wherever you go, that's where the church is at. See, Paul wanted them to be reminded that you definitely are not just who you used to be. When you committed your life to the Lord, he placed his presence inside your body. Now, intellectually, we can't comprehend that. But God, through his grace, in his wisdom, always gives men and women of God the wisdom through physical analogies to help us understand a spiritual reality. In the reality for you and I, that we can only comprehend through an analogy, but that is a reality, is that you the church. You don't just go to a church. Wherever you show up, we have in church. That brings an awesome responsibility and capability. You have potential through the gift that God has given you to live out the calling for which he's called you. Despite how you feel, despite what you've been through, despite what you used to be, that's no longer who you are. And what that means is God don't play when it comes to you. He don't play about his children. He will be relentless to get you on track. When you are not progressing and maturing to the level that he wants you to, you will hear from him in one way or another. When Paul speaks of the temple in the Jewish mind, they go right to the Old Testament temple that they may have been familiar with Back in the Old Testament, when Moses established the Holy of Holies, the temple, in the temple to which they were familiar with even in their own time. In Exodus 25, I'm going to jump around a little bit, Tim. They were told to make a sanctuary. 
that I might dwell in their midst. See, in the Old Testament era, physical locations or a special place God used as a visible symbol of his presence. And so there was a time where a physical location was used to give the people a visual idea that God is in the house. But Paul says that day is no longer relevant. He says the holy of holies is now you. He says, do you not know that that temple that you learned about, that that's now you, and if anyone tries to mess with you, watch out. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Paul established the evidence of what makes an authentic Christian. So now, you and I, we know and we understand that God's presence is in us. But let's talk about it from a different angle. Paul established and was seeking to establish in chapter 2, and here in chapter 3, that the evidence of what makes a Christian a Christian is not people just saying, I'm a Christian. If you look at the data, even though the numbers are lower than they used to be, and you ask people if they are a Christian, over 85% of the country says that they are. Yet, the culture of the country doesn't reflect that. And so you and I know that just saying you're a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian according to the biblical standard. What God says and what the scripture does for us is it reminds us that God provides evidence of what is identified or who is called a Christian. And the first part of that evidence is that God seals us, what the scripture says in Ephesians 1, with the Holy Spirit. It is a seal, it is an identification, it is evidence that you belong to him. So, when you say you're a Christian, the question is, is the Spirit of God in you? Paul says to them, you need to know that the Spirit is in you. Not only does Paul say to them, this is the evidence that you're a Christian, but he says God provides more insight and confirmation through the Spirit that you have the Spirit. To say it another way, God's Spirit helps you understand or gives you confirmation throughout your life that he's in you. One of the ways that happens is, Paul says, as we looked at earlier in chapter 2, is that you have the ability to understand and receive God's thoughts. God gives you the ability to understand what he's thinking. In last week's passage, chapter 2, 11 and 12, Paul says in verse 11, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person who is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. What did we receive? We received the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience before I was a Christian, before I understood 
um, the authenticity or what a Christian really was. I used to go to church. I didn't grow up in the church, but from time to time I would show up in a church and I would see people shouting, praising God, getting their praise on. That's the type of church I went to back in the day. Um, Y'all can still do that here too. You can get your praise on. And, but I was not a Christian. So the only thing that I understood a Christian to be was people that just kind of went to church. But the problem was I would see those same kind of people outside the church in the clubs. So I was confused. Or those same type of people who was praising God during the church, I would literally see them cussing folks out after that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go into some legalistic rant to, to try to um, say the level of morality um, makes you a Christian. Because Paul is going to make it clear that you can be carnal in a Christian. But from my perspective, to understand what a Christian was and to have understanding, I was confused. Because if I went with my eyes of what I seen, I couldn't really determine what really a Christian was based on just behavior. And so for some odd reason, I decided, okay, I, I don't really know if I get it. I was listening to the preacher from time to time. I was curious, but I didn't quite understand everything they were saying. They were using words and terms and phrases that just didn't make sense to me. Then I decided for some odd reason to open up a Bible. Now, I don't know if any of you ever remember your pre-Christian days opening up the Bible and trying to figure it out, but it was like another language. At least that's my experience. I opened it up, and I literally couldn't understand what I was reading. And lo and behold, a few years down the road, I call upon the name of the Lord. God had broken me down. I asked the Lord, if you're real, I don't know if this stuff is real. I don't know what's going on with this God thing. And my prayer was just really broken, just like that. I said, if you are real, show me. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I really sensed something bizarre in the space that I was at. And out of nowhere, I got this desire to open up the Bible again. And this time when I opened it up, I understood it. Now, I did not understand why I didn't understand it then or why, and, and that I understood it now, why at the time, because I had to continue to read the Bible, continue to get understanding, and all of a sudden I read in the Bible about this Holy Spirit thing. And then I began to realize what happened to me when I called upon God is that he gave me a new nature. And that allowed me to have more understanding. And that authentified for me, now I'm really a Christian. It helped me understand that everybody in that building that day that was praising him, it didn't necessarily mean they was a Christian because they were going to a building. Because you the church. See, God has to authenticate your identity with him. And God is not a God of blind faith. God is a God of faith and trust with substance. God gives you his spirit and his presence, and God will identify and authenticate and confirm and give you confidence over the course of your Christian life that he is with you and that you are truly his. If you, anyone in here, you come to a building, and if you hear the words, and if in any way in your mind you think that just coming to a building makes you a Christian, we just want to be clear today that it's not the building, it's God's spirit that has to get in you. And all you have to do is surrender your entire life to him and want him.
Do you not know that God's spirit dwells in you? If not, if you want to know the Lord here this morning, God will give you his spirit and he will save you. He gives you the ability to understand and to receive his thoughts. Then he also gives you the ability to represent his character. This is also important because foundationally, those two verses that I said I will start with in verse 17, Paul wanted the Corinthians to know, for God's temple is holy, God is holy, and you are that temple. What is holy? Well, from a biblical standpoint, when the scripture during the Old Testament times where the Lord says to the Jews, be ye holy for I am holy, that is speaking of God's character. That's where we get standards from, morality. When you really think about it, who sets the standard for what's right and wrong or moral in a society? If there is no creator, if there is no intelligent design, if we just determine what's right by our own standards, then anybody can determine what's right. We can't tell anybody what's right or wrong. They can determine their own standards. There has to be an authority of standards in order to establish right and wrong. We have laws. We have a government. They establish right and wrong. We abide by those laws. Well, where do they get them from? Where did it all come from? Well, I'm not going to give you a history lesson this morning, but it all came from somewhere. Somewhere somebody established a standard for right or wrong that continues throughout human history. Well, the Bible established it with the Ten Commandments. That's what in the scriptures they call the law. And God gave standards that came out of the flow of his character, of his nature. And he communicated them in words. He gave us the ability to understand words so that he can communicate with us. God, by his nature, is a spirit. Although he's the God of all things, he's the God of the physical and the invisible. He created both. So he created us, and he designed us to understand and learn through words, and he wants us to understand his character. Not only does he want us to understand his character, because the whole point of understanding is to apply. But then the point is he wants us to apply what he's teaching us. And so when the scripture says God is holy, he wants us to understand and learn what, those, what that means, what those standards are, and to reflect them. As a Christian, when God calls you to himself, he's not only calling you to say you're a Christian, he's calling you to reflect his character. It is sometimes confusing when you are sharing with someone how they can come to know Jesus and come to know Christ and turn their life around if you don't also explain to them that they're changing their character also, their lifestyle. Now, you have to be careful because it's not their good works that saves them. God can... God does not save them. It's nothing they can do to be good enough. They have to surrender to him, admit that they're a sinner, and then if they admit that they're a sinner and they know that they're messed up, then God will save them. But as a result of God's spirit being in you, that is the ability now to grow and reflect him. And so when you're calling people to Christ, you're calling them to have forgiveness for their sins but to live for him. Why is that so important? That's important because Paul says, if you've been a Christian for a while, 
you should not still be living the same way you used to live. We cannot be afraid, my brothers and sisters, to hold each other accountable to character. This is where Paul starts off and he says to the Corinthians in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, even though you are spiritual people, we got a problem. I can't speak to you or teach you as spiritual people. Why? Because you are people of the flesh in the way you're acting. He says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, although that's what you are, but as people of the flesh. And then he characterizes it as infants. I had to give you baby milk. Similac. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because although you should be grown by now, as your mama told you, you need to be getting out the house, you still here eating my cereal and milk. He says, I fed you milk and not solid food. He says, you were not ready for it. Then, back then, when I first planted the church, and he says, even now you are not ready. So how long was it that these Corinthians were Christians that made Paul prompt them or say this in the way he's saying it? Well, according to most historical scholars, Paul established the church in Corinth around A.D. 52 after being there about 18 months. Two to three years later, Paul wrote this letter. So after approximately four or five years, Paul had an expectation that there would be spiritual growth. Paul says, when I first left you years ago, you were newborn babies in Christ. That's understandable if you were acting that way then. But now, years later, you still need the same instructions. And even now, he says, you are not ready. How long y'all been a Christian? How long you, how long you been a Christian? Hmm. See, church, as I've said before, is not just a place you go, it's a place you grow. Now, We've already said it's not the building, but when we all come here, we're the congregation. We make it up. But what's happening in our culture is it's becoming just a place people go. You go to the church week by week. You know, you, you, you had a rough week. Nothing wrong with that. You need to be encouraged, and then you get back out there. I don't know about you, but physically, if you only ate once a week. You're going to be anorexic. Now, the Bible, like I mentioned earlier, always uses physical analogies to help us understand spiritual realities. The physical and the spiritual are really closely connected. Not fully understand, I can't comprehend around my mind how the invisible always works, but I read the physical illustrations that's given in the Bible, and that helps me a little bit. It helps us a little bit, but it, it, it still kind of falls short. But the Bible and our God understands our limitations, but we get analogies in the scriptures, and preachers use analogies. It just helps us, but those analogies are good because it gives us a, a, a real picture. In the picture here is Paul is saying, I'm trying to feed you. I'm trying to give you solid food, but I can't give you solid food because you ain't ready. And when you are not being fed, when you are, if you just go to church a week, once a week, just to kind of hang in there, it's not surprising if you don't grow if you're not eating spiritually. We are designed, God designed for Christians to grow through 
getting the word of God in us consistently. The more word, the more growth. The less word, the less growth. Now, you can eat a lot of different ways. You can eat by receiving the word. You can eat by reading the word. God has given us all types of abilities as human beings. You can listen to it through the radio. Now we got technology. There's all kinds of ways to get your spiritual eat on. But if you never eat, you ain't going to grow. Wouldn't it be weird, parents, you see your teenage kid come in the house and they just sucking on a pacifier? I know, that's funny. Wouldn't that be weird? Some of y'all probably shouldn't have seen this movie, but anybody remember the movie Baby Boy? Yeah, that was a picture of just a grown man living in his mama's house like a little baby. He just act like a little child. And his mom had to tell him, boy, one day you got to leave the nest. And then you see the picture of him just crawled up like a little baby, sucking a pacifier. Be really weird physically if your child never grew up. Think about how God is thinking or seeing us when we don't grow up. He's revealing it through Paul to the Corinthians in this word. That God's expectation is that we grow, not just come to go. Y'all let all that sink in for a minute, just let it sink in. So what is one of the core character flaws that Paul identified that reveal the immaturity? There's many things the scripture reveals that can reveal immaturity. But in this context, Paul says in verse 3, they're still in the flesh because there's some jealousy and strife among you. Their immaturity is reflected in this jealousy and this division and strife that they have. And then he explains what this jealousy and strife is all about. He says, are you not in the flesh and only behaving in a human way? Verse 4, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? The character flaw here that reveals the immature church culture is the creation of cliques. I'm over here with this person. You're over here with that person. I love this preacher, not that preacher, or this group or that group. Paul, and you see it also in Ephesians, he just had a problem with cliques. But it's a reflection of an immature church culture. Because for some reason... What can end up happening with human beings is we start to worship other human beings. And we put them on a pedestal where they ought not be. Kyle's been talking to me all the time. Every time a great preacher falls, Kyle let me know. Boy, he's like, yeah, this preacher fell. <laughs> I'm like, got it, Kyle, man. I feel great. I feel great today. Thank you. Is this a warning? Are you trying to tell me something? Even though these are great preachers, I'm just a humble preacher. <laughs> but he, he has a great point because there's these men of God that have been raised up to this high status. The age of the celebrity preachers, and I am not against great preachers at all. I enjoy them. Um, and I am grateful to God for the men and women that God gives us that are gifted that we can um, benefit from. But we have to be careful that we put them where they belong. Anything they have is only of what God gives them. That could have been you. That could have been me. It's all that God designs. And they at any moment, like David in the scriptures, can fall. 
and we can't put our trust or our hope in any man or woman. And the principle to that, as was mentioned earlier, is that you cannot determine your commitment to Christ based on other Christians. I know that's hard because it is. People can get on your nerves. I might get on your nerves. But when you stand before God, he ain't going to be like, yeah, you're right. That brother Kimball, you good. Go ahead. Pass through because that brother, he a mess. No, he going to say, what about you? Just like you tell your own kids. We can learn a lot. When young people, if you ain't raised kids, I'm telling you, one day when you do, it's going to teach you a lot about God. Because <laughs> that, that, that thought going to come right in your mind. That's exactly what you're telling your kid, that's what God is telling you. Amen. Clicks are not good. The popular culture in each historical era celebrate the accomplishments of men and women that demonstrate particular gifts and skills that create popularity and ultimately a cult-like following. I mean, being popular and the value of that just, it starts in middle school, might even start in elementary school, where we value being popular or being one of the popular people or worshiping people so much that it consumes us. But it's dangerous. This has been commonplace in the historical human behavior that mankind recognizes and often celebrates. But men and women who are truly called by God, the creator of the universe, they recognize who they are. And as y'all say in today's culture, they understand the assignment. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Verse 5, Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? We ain't nothing but servants. Servants, this word here, servant, is, is servant here is interesting because this is the word for like deacon or somebody who serves tables. He says, we are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He says, we understand who we are and who we are not. The problem ain't us. The problem is y'all. In you all's view of your calling and what church is. Don't put us on no pedestal. We understand that our responsibility is servant leadership. We are called to serve. We are called to represent our Lord and to share Christ, not to be celebrities. True servants of the Lord who understand the New Testament calling of Christ know that our lives are lives of suffering, not prosperity. The calling that God has called servants of Christ to share the gospel is not popular. I am never trying to be popular, don't want to be, and I, I understand what my calling is and who I am. I'm nothing, but I'm everything in Christ. I understand the assignment. Thanks. Do you understand the assignment? Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's get perspective on who we are. We have God's spirit. He has called us to grow. He has called us to represent him. He says in verse 6, he planted the church. 
Apollos came later and discipled the church. And the brothers, and sis- the brothers before that have been preaching have talked about Apollos. He was a very articulate preacher. Talked a lot about Paul, so a lot of you here have got a background of who they are. But Paul planted this church in Corinth, Apollos watered, but God is the one that gives the growth. So, it's neither he who plants or he who waters who is anything but God who gives the growth. So, how do you grow? I'm going to touch on some of this in conclusion, and then we'll continue a lot of uh, this passage or the rest of these passages next week. But Paul establishes that Christian maturity are becoming more spiritual. He established in chapter 2 that is done through words. 1 Corinthians 2.13, if it's up there. Paul said um, in chapter 2, he says, And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those that are spiritual. So God primarily grows us through his word. But it's not just any words. It's words God has designed as food for our soul, as I mentioned. It's soul food. but not the kind your mama cook back in the kitchen. That's good, too. But if you want to use that analogy to help you out, if you ain't getting that soul food, you ain't growing. Paul established that he wanted to grow them, going back to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2, real quick again. He established next in his flow of chapter 2, now in chapter 3, that I want to feed you with food. Here's how I want to grow you. And again, like I said, he clarified in verse 2 that that food is God's word. In 1 Peter 2 and 2, Peter also says, like newborn infants long for the the pure spiritual milk. of the word of God he's talking about, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So, how are these words used to help us grow, and what are some of the ways that it looks like? Some of this, for some of you, is just fundamentals. It's basic, like Paul is saying. He's teaching them the basics, and now he still needs to go back to them. So we're just going to go to some basics real quick here. First of all, we need to understand and be reminded that in Ephesians 6.17, if we want the spirit to work in our soul to grow us, we have to give the spirit the weapon God has designed the spirit to use to help us grow. Ephesians 6.17 says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. How God has designed us, as I have said and established, and now I'm just reiterating and giving more verses, God has designed it to work for us is that he's given us his Holy Spirit, and now the way that we mature through God's Spirit is with the Spirit and truth and the Word. But if no Word is getting in you, the Spirit doesn't have the Word to help grow you. Now, God can do anything. He can instantaneously, bam, make you mature. But we all know that's not how God works. Just like in a physical situation, it's a process. God created us physically to grow through a process. He don't just take a baby from a baby to adulthood in one year. It's not how he's designed it. Spiritually, the same thing. God wants you and I to work with his word by putting in the work to getting the word in you, and then as a result, you'll see yourself thinking different, acting different. You'll change. And it's not just regular words. You have the Holy Spirit with God's word that will give you the supernatural ability (coughs) to be like Christ. 
So that's first, understand that. You got to study the word. You have to organize a time to study and meditate. It's spiritual disciplines. You make time for what's important in your life. We all know that. The next thing we understand is Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 tells us is that the spirit works in our inner being, our soul, the part of us that includes our minds and our emotions, includes our minds, which our soul includes our mind, our thought, our emotions, and this provides us with the discernment and ability to think right. Then when we think right, we make the right decisions, and then that helps us determine right from wrong based on God's standards. So Hebrews 4, 12, 13 says, the word of God, it's living, it's active, it's sharp, like a two-edged sword, and then it kind of works in your soul and your spirit like joints and marrows, and then it gives you the right way of thinking. See, when you're a baby, you don't think right. You think you know, but you don't know nothing. You need to grow up. You need to be taught. You need your way of thinking to mature. As you physically grow, your mindset should grow. When you see a, a grown-up thinking like a child, it don't match. But what the word of God does for you that as you can have years of Christianity starts to spread out and you're getting the word in you, you begin, the, 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 the spirit takes the word and starts to transform your thinking, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You may want to do right, but you need the spirit's help to help you do right. In order to do right, you got to think right. In, in sports, we have this term called muscle memory. In muscle memory, you have to do something over and over and over again for it to become a habit. And some of you know the science. It takes three to six months to do something over and over again before it's a habit. Well, as coaches, as basketball coaches, we all know that you don't just change your athletes' actions just by them hearing your words. You got to get them on the court and they got to practice the action. You're not going to just get right just by me telling you. You have to put the word of God in practice for yourself. One Sunday a week, you will not see growth. Now, what I want to say to you all is that you don't have to listen to me. I know that. Okay, um, I'm nobody. But later on, as we'll see next week, you got to answer to God. See, preachers are passionate, but most of us know we just passionate. We going on, we preaching, but we know we can't change nobody. Your accountability is to the Lord. We pray that the Spirit is using us to, you know, um, touch your heart. But that don't necessarily just grow you. We know that one Sunday service or message a week don't grow a Christian. It's just a part of a process. It's a small percentage part of it. You have to practice the Word of God. You got to study it. You got to practice living out for Christ, and then one day you will stand before God for yourself. I am under no pressure. I am not begging anybody to do anything. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just telling you. That's just straight up, as they say, back where I'm from. And, I, and that's just the truth. That's really who I am. It may seem like, man, he's getting all on me. I'm, I'm not. I'm just serving the Lord, and I, I do care, but then at the end of the day, it's up to you. Amen. Last thing, or last one real quick, and I know I've said that a couple times, so I'm sorry. But Hebrews, <laughs> it's a preacher thing too. 
Hebrews 5, 12, and 14. Um, And a lot of scholars identify Paul as a potential author of this book too, but describes immaturity as inconsistency of behaviors that reflect Jesus Christ. And these verses provide an example of what Christian maturity should look like. So Hebrews 5, 12, and 14 is also a good one to study, to meditate on, because Paul says, for by this time, through this time, you ought to be teachers. So one um, characteristic of maturing that you're growing is you're teaching somebody else. You're not always just coming and receiving, but you're teaching. Whether you're teaching somebody at home, your children, you're leading a Bible study, but teaching as we all know in any profession, but also in a spiritual profession, it actually helps you grow. When you teach, you grow more. So if you find a way where you can start teaching, that'll help you grow. So you should be teachers by this time, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles or oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives in milk, one of the characteristics of this is they unskilled in the word of God. They still can't tell you where John 3.16 is. They unskilled in the word of righteousness since they just a little baby. But you should be a teacher. Um, But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. And then they're also able to distinguish good from evil. We shouldn't have to be telling Christians basic moral stuff that they shouldn't be doing or arguing with them about it. It's the fundamentals of Christianity, and when you have God's spirit and you, God convicts you. You already know. Somebody said, you already know. In verse 8 and following, Paul is going to start talking about the evaluations that God is going to give all Christians in the end. He says, he who plants and he who waters, verse 8 or 1, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And then just uh, skipping down to verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it, be, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. We'll touch on that next week. That's called the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll look a little closer at that. Is that um, if you don't know Christ here this morning, the goal is for you to get that right with God. Do you know him? It's the most important decision you'll make in your life. And then if, you're, if you know Jesus, it ain't just something we just coast on. That you just, we need to be reminded as much as we can that one day we'll stand before God and we'll get rewards and then there'll be accountability for what we did as Christians. And we'll talk about that and look at that next week. It's pretty interesting. But um, singers can come up and I pray that the spirit of the Lord take all that was said and apply it to your life as it needs to be applied for me and you. God bless y'all.